We'll, we'll try it with the mic on. That might work. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to see you after the food coma that we've all been in uh, the last couple days. We did our... Uh, we did a Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day at Ortiz, and then we also did a Thanksgiving yesterday at an exciting place called Black Angus. Not exciting, uh, but it was exciting to be with family, and I hope you guys were able to, to spend some good quality time with family and friends. I know we did, uh, and survived uh, that time with family. Sometimes it's a stressful time uh, to meet with family uh, and friends, but uh, we, we escaped the controversial topics of uh, usually politics or things like that. I hope you were able to, to do that as well. Welcome everyone that's visiting in for Thanksgiving and also those people that are longtime uh, Harbor people, welcome. I have a few announcements that I kind of wanted to point out uh, uh, as we go into this next week and into this next season. The first, I don't know if it's most important, but it's most important to me because I love cookies, is the cookie contest. So we are hosting the second annual cookie contest on December 10th. I'm, I'm the MC. I'm not a judge, so you, 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 can, you can pay me off with cookies if you want, but it's not going to help, except for it's going to help me. Everyone can join in the fun from kids to adults. You need to sign up through the app and bring three dozen cookies to church on the 10th. The kids and adults will be judged separately. There'll be prizes for the most festive, the best taste, and the best all around. And just make sure you sign up before December 6th. And we need four volunteers to help with the event. Uh, just make sure you reach out uh, via uh, the Church Center app. Um, and we will be providing food as well. So it will not just be cookies uh, and put us in another, uh, another coma. Uh, we also, we're going to be doing, uh, coming up, there's going to be We All Count, the Homeless Count. Uh, the 2024 point in time count for those experiencing homelessness is happening on January 25th, 2024. There are two times you can volunteer, 4 a.m. or 8 a.m. or actually it's 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. or 6.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. So you can choose. I would definitely not be choosing that morning one. Um, this yearly count helps to collect data on the needs of people experiencing homelessness in our community. This count also provides an excellent opportunity to increase awareness of homelessness. And if you want more information, you can talk to Jackie Vance. And if you want to sign up, you can go to the Church Center app. And then fasting. Uh, we are continuing our seasons of fasting and prayer in order to seek the Lord's will during this time of transition. And we are inviting everyone to join us in fasting one day a week between now and the end of the year. And please remember to consult your doctor if you're unsure about changes to your diet and your medications. And there are resources available to you on the Church Center app inside the fasting practice group. So even if you're unable to join the actual group officially, you can just join it on the app and then you can get those resources that are available to you. And again, we have the new baby meal train again for Forrest and Katie Hicks. They, have, of course, have had twin girls, if you haven't heard that already, on October 19th. And Harper came home earlier this week. Uh, that is an, an awesome answer to prayer. We're just praying for June to come home soon as well. You can only imagine the split uh, and working and, and going back and forth to the hospital that they're going through. We can all support Katie and Forrest as they adjust to being a family of four, as Katie heals from surgery and as they spend time visiting June in the hospital and caring for Harper at home. So you can sign up on the Church Center app online or through the church email. And uh, then finally, uh, we have an opportunity uh, through the Comfort and, uh, and Joy Initiative. This year for Christmas, we are partnering once again with Hope for San Diego 
to provide gifts for families and individuals uh, in our community. And Hope for San Diego has, has slotted Harbor to be the church providing gifts for the students of David's Heart. And if you have been around Harbor for a while, you've heard us talk about David's Harp. They provide programs to empower at-risk youth to enter careers in music and video production. And they do it the whole time pointing their students to Jesus. So be sure to select Harbor City Church. Again, that's always a little reminder. There's another Harbor Church in there. Uh, select Harbor City Church and put David's Harp in the notes to get paired up uh, with a student from David's Harp. And then also, just want to remind, as a reminder, there will be uh, people to pray for you during communion and after the service. Make sure you take advantage of that uh, if you need prayer. And kind of as we transition, there is a, uh, a devotional uh, that I read this last week on Friday following, uh, following Thanksgiving. It's a, uh, an app called With God Daily. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with Sky Jitani from the Holy Post, if you ever listened to that podcast. It's a podcast I listen to all the time, but he also has a, uh, a devotional that I thought I would use to kind of bring us in and transition us into a heart of giving. And we probably come through Thanksgiving, and I kind of thought, I, I've never really thought of Thanksgiving as giving, really, except for this kind of helped me uh, direct my thoughts to that. But you have an opportunity to give online, uh, uh, through the app, uh, you may have already set uh, your giving uh, up automatically, but just uh, as I'm kind of reading through this devotional and prayer, uh, be thinking about uh, what, it's God, what God has called you to give. Uh, and in this case, it, it, the devotional goes like this. Most of us first learn to pray by giving thanks. It may have been a family routine before meals or a bedtime ritual in our footy pajamas, but offering thanks to God is usually seen as the elementary level of Christian prayer from which we eventually move on. Nothing could be further from the truth. We are always called to give thanks no matter how mature our faith is or how deep our understanding is. It is a practice modeled by the apostles in their letters and even by Jesus before feeding the crowds. Still, there is maturing that must occur in, our, in how we give thanks. Scripture tells us to give thanks anyways, but there are many circumstances and seasons of life that provoke grief rather than gratitude. Are we supposed to be thankful for these bitter moments? Are we to be grateful for pains and losses and injustices? Are we to view even the evilest events as coming from the hand of God who demands that we not only accept their sorrow, but also thank him for them? A good friend wrote a blog post reflecting on the death of his mother many years ago. I found his view of giving thanks very helpful. He wrote, I have found a difference between being grateful for something and being grateful in something. My mother's death, death was a great pain in my life, and even these many years later, it looms large as a backdrop to my play. There is no gratitude for her loss. However, I have learned to be grateful in the loss that has made all the difference. He has learned what it means to give thanks always. So there's many ways that we can give, and hopefully we've, as an act of worship this last week, as we're giving thanks during the official Thanksgiving, We've kind of extend that out into our lives every day in giving thanks in the situation in, that we're in, in the circumstances, not necessarily celebrating the bad things that are happening, but celebrate and honor God through uh, that situation. 
and at the end of this devotional, he also puts a prayer that like, you kind of repeat every single, uh, every single day for a week. And in this case, the prayer, and while we'll be praying this together as well, uh, is from Ignatius Loyola, uh, a uh, Catholic priest uh, from the 14 and 15, 1500s. Uh, and I thought it would be uh, appropriate uh, for, to, for us to pray as well. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be praying this. Let's bow our heads. Take, Lord, as your right, and receive as my gift all my freedom, my memory, my mind, and my will. Whatever I am and whatever I possess, you have given to me, and I give it back to you. Give me away and the powers you gave me according to your will. Give me only a love for you and the gift of your grace. Then I am rich enough and ask for nothing more. Amen. Good morning, church family. I'm actually not here to talk about teeth brushing. I'm here to give you an update on our friends, the Forrest family, who are missionaries in Uganda. There appears to not be a photo, so I, you can just picture Mike Casey, uh, Winnie Piper, and Boston in your mind's eye. Mike has a beard, if that helps. Um, so they have been missionaries in a very remote uh, area of western Uganda since February 2020. Uh, Boston, their youngest, just turned six. Mike works at uh, Christ School, which is um, uh, a Christian school that was planted by their mission organization about 30 years ago when they first started working in that area. And Casey works at Nyahuka, I don't, that's probably not pronounced that way, Health Center, which is um, kind of like the local maternity ward for women to come um, and give birth. So the update is Boston turned six. The kids are thriving. They love living in Uganda. They love their um, missionary teacher, Miss Michaela. Um, there's so many things that they love about living there. And they and their team are going through a very weary season of ministry. Um, if you remember, uh, Christ School had one of their dormitories burned down and we fundraised for that, and they have rebuilt it. In that time, Mike was really um, a leader in that whole experience of figuring out what happened, rebuilding, communicating with families, making sure students were safe, and it really um, was burdensome in terms of the cross-cultural communication and just uh, the whole experience. And um, he's still struggling to bounce back. He, it just really exhausted him. So that would be one area uh, of prayer. Um, Casey loves working with mothers and babies in their health center. Uh, one of their doctors was recently recognized for um, his work on a national level, like because it makes such a difference in terms of life or death, whether women survive childbirth. And Casey said, you know, it's burdensome. Every week they have near misses of babies and mothers who almost die. So there is a wearying element of that. Um, additionally, um, there's ADF rebels that are very active in that area, and they're kind of both in Congo and Uganda. They live right on the border. And recently, um, maybe like two weeks ago, um, the rebels... Uh, 
for our young listeners. There was some action within 20 minutes of their home that has kind of everyone in that region on edge. And um, Casey said it's a very specific kind of wearisomeness that you're, you're always kind of on edge for your safety. So I, I can see your faces. I know this is hard to hear, um, that it is heavy. Um, but I hope that we will turn that into prayer, to come before our Father and request just protection and provision for them, for a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit to be infused into their um, team. So please join me in prayer. Father, you are good, you are faithful and loving and kind, and you hold the whole world and all of eternity in your capable hands. And we just lift up um, the Forrest family, Mike, Casey, Winnie, Piper, and Boston. We lift up their team, including two new missionaries who joined them recently. We uh, lift up Christ School um, for the health center, that your, um, your kingdom would be evident that you would infuse them with fresh wind from the Holy Spirit that would encourage them, that would protect them, that would strengthen them. And we ask for peace in this region of conflict, Lord, that you would um, make individuals peacemakers, that you would make communities peacemakers, and that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would do the work that humans cannot do, that you would change hearts and minds and um, put them under the yoke of Jesus so that um, what you have in mind for human dignity would flourish there. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you saw in your bulletin that I will be preaching, that was a surprise to me. So I will not be preaching, but there will be another David that is preaching. And I want to introduce him so that you just, just come in and say, who is this guy? So David was uh, born and raised in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He graduated with a degree in journalism from the University of Colorado in 2008. After stints in sports broadcasting and parachurch campus ministry, David attended Redeemer Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and graduated with a Master of Divinity uh, in 2016. David went on to plant the RUF International Ministry at UT Dallas in 2018 and was ordained that same year. The five years he and his family spent uh, in UTD were wonderful years interacting with many students from around the world. David and Meredith have been married for 14 years and have had two daughters, Evelyn and Nora. And the Billingsleys are excited about starting RUF International at UC San Diego and exploring Southern California. David enjoys basketball, sports in general, reading, eating, international cuisine, and spending time with his family. He also has a pretty cool name. Good morning. Such a privilege to get to be with you all and I'm just thankful for this church and thankful that even though we've only been in San Diego for a few months, there's familiar faces in the room and people who've welcomed us and just want you to know how much my family and I appreciate that. So um, before we get into our passage, I just want to mention one thing about our ministry at UCSD. 
with RUF International. I know RUF is very familiar to some of you, and for some of you, you have no idea what that even stands for. It's, you know, Reformed University Fellowship International. It's the campus ministry of the denomination we're a part of, the PCA. And specifically, this ministry is uh, focused on reaching out to international students. Um, there's 11,000 at UCSD, so that's why we're here. You'll hear more about that as I go on. But if you're interested in that, there's more brochures on the back table uh, when you leave today. So uh, with that said, would you please stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word from Revelation 7, uh, verses 9 through 17. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Revelation 7. This is God's word. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You may be seated. Uh, please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I ask now that by your word and spirit, you would cause this passage to change us, to convict us, to comfort us, and I ask you would have it bring us closer to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So about 12 years ago, my wife Meredith and I uh, were in Indonesia on Java Island for about three weeks. And this is an island that is the size, of, about the size of North Carolina. So that's a third of the size of California, that's easier to grasp. Um, and on Java, there's about 150 million people. It's the most heavily populated island in the world. Uh, there's more than twice as many people on Java than Great Britain. Uh, the capital, Jakarta, uh, has about 10 times the population density of San Diego. So you thought things were crowded here, imagine being in Jakarta. And in Indonesia, as a whole, uh, there are two, about 230 million Muslims, and maybe you already knew this, I didn't know until I was preparing to go to Indonesia, 
uh, but there are more Muslims in Indonesia than any country in the world. Uh, Pakistan is second, and it's climbing. Um, but when we were there, uh, we were woken up by something I had never been woken up by before, and that was the daily call to prayer, one of the five daily calls to prayer, sometimes faintly uh, through the windows, sometimes deafening across uh, city streets and from the speakers uh, in the villages we were in, we could still hear it, waking you up in the morning and you look out and you wonder, you could wonder, what hope is there? What hope is there to reach this many people in this kind of context with the gospel? Um, I've become more familiar with Hinduism over the last five years working with international students. And according to Pew Research, there's about 1.1 billion Hindus in the world. 95% live in India. And if you continue to do the research, if you look at websites like the Joshua Project and see the number of people around the world with little to no access to the gospel, recent stats say there's about over 3 billion people in these unreached people groups, many of them in India. Again, if you look at that, you can feel again this this sense of being overwhelmed. But this passage that we just read this morning tells us something incredible. In the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, this book of heavenly spiritual visions given to the apostle John, these visions, not always about the future, some are, but many of them rather are visions that are pulling back Uh, the mask, taking off the mask of the evil principalities and the powers that work in our world. And the passage that we read this morning tells us that things will not always be the way they are now. And the three things I wanna uh, point out this morning from our, our passage is I want us to see, first of all, the extent of God's mission. Second, the magnitude of God's faithfulness. And then finally, the depths of God's love. Uh, Kids, if there's kids who hung out or staying in here for the sermon, I want you to be paying attention as well, our young worshipers in the room. I'm gonna tell a story about sunglasses, okay? I'm gonna tell another story about Abraham. And then I want you to pay attention and listen to what God does with our tears, okay? So first, the extent of God's Mission. Well, in verses 9 and 10 that we read, we see something truly amazing. We see this vision where in the end, there will be people from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and all languages. Not a single one is missing. See what Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to go make disciples of all nations. That will happen. Uh, That's been the trajectory of Christianity the last 2,000 years. And Christianity has had its ups and downs in various pockets of the world. Certainly, there have been many abuses and failures by the church over the last 2,000 years. I don't want to just kind of gloss over that or pretend that doesn't exist. But we must recognize that today, Christianity is the most diverse, the most geographically spread out religion that the world has ever known. It's a far cry from a Western or American religion. So I have a graphic uh, that 
I, I saw this uh, picture a few years ago um, from the folks at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and they took this idea of what if you could distill all the Christians in the world to 100 people? What would it look like? Um, you Maybe you've seen different versions of this. Maybe you've even seen this one. But there's 2.5 billion Christians in the world, including Catholics, so we're keeping that in mind. Uh, largest religion in the world, but again, how do you, how do you think of 2.5 billion people? It's easier if you could think of it as 100 people. And so if you see, you know, you can look at different kind of things, it's a little blurry, but you can see that there is diversity in pretty much every category imaginable. A diversity across continents, diversity across socioeconomic status, etc. Even things like the top, diversity to internet access, so about half of all Christians in the world do not have access to the internet. Here's a quote from the Gordon-Conwell uh, page publishing this. It says, a typical Christian today is a non-white woman living in the global south with lower than average levels of societal safety and proper health care. This represents a vastly different typical Christian than that of 100 years ago, who is likely a white affluent European. I've, I've heard recently from various sources, from different pastors, including uh, the stated clerk of our denomination, Brian Chapel, that from what we can tell, there are more Christians worshiping today in China than in the U.S. My wife, Meredith, and I, we've met a lot of Chinese students over the years, and one, not a Christian, uh, one of these students told us that after going back to China, uh, the students said that they now are seeing more Christians than ever before. And they were saying that they think there are more Christians than Communist Party members in China. Now, they're just in one part, one city, you know. It's kind of hard to, to gauge and get accurate numbers here. But this helps us see the reality is that God is at work in the world. Uh, as Michael Gorman, I have a quote from him that says this from his book, Reading Revelation Responsibly. He says that this vision that we read from Revelation 7-9 is or should be at the heart of the church's self-understanding. This is what God is up to in the world. God is rescuing people from sin, from death and the devil. The Holy Spirit is opening eyes around the world, illuminating scripture. The Spirit's opening hearts to the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. And the gates of hell are not prevailing against his church. Here we go. I'm going to say it again. The gates of hell are not prevailing against his church because some of us are forgetting that. This vision of Revelation 7 is coming to fruition. So even when it looks bad, even when it looks like the church is losing, even when we're woken up by Islamic calls to prayer in the morning or our friends in Uganda are struggling, even when it seems like there are Christians who we see being persecuted and martyred and fleeing their countries and coming here, God is at work in the world and the gospel will reach every corner of the globe. And so that means we have to ask ourselves a hard question. Ask ourselves individually, ask ourselves corporately as a church, is that what we're on board with? Is our church on board with that? 
Or have we lost the plot? Have we lost the plot in our own lives? Have we lost the plot as a church? Are we lost ourselves in being consumed about our possessions? The next iPhone, the next trip we can go on, or even consumed with things like the politics of California or the politics of our country. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying we shouldn't care about what happens in our communities, in our city, in our country, or that you can't have nice things, but have we lost the plot in our lives and forgotten the real story we're a part of? Let me say it like this with a little illustration. So I've been in California about four months now, and eventually I realized I needed more sunglasses. (laughs) It's a great problem to have, right? And uh, this one, because I had one pair and if I forgot it, I was toast for the day. And I was like, I need more sunglasses. I need to just have some I can keep in the car. So I bought this cheap pack of three sunglasses. And one of the pairs, when I put them on, has this bluish tint to it. So everything I see is a little more blue. Then I have another pair that has this reddish tint to it. And everything then has this kind of warmish, orangey red hue. And there are so many people in our country, there are so many Christians in our country who can't take their sunglasses off. They see everything, everything through the lens of red or blue. Or really it's more like red versus blue. That's Republican and Democrat if you're not tracking yet, okay? Thought you were gonna avoid, they said they avoided politics at Thanksgiving. Sorry, you're here at church now. <laughs> but you see on both sides, the Bible then can become a prop for political gain, for agendas. And then the goal of life becomes beating those guys across the other side of the aisle, whoever those guys are, whoever they are. But we have to see that our life is not meant to be seen through red or blue through scripture and our primary identity cannot be our political party or our national allegiances but if we are christians if you would call yourself a christian today you have to see that we are united to jesus that we are a part of his body the church the international community or really the international family of brothers and sisters and In our ministry to international students uh, with RUF International the last few years in Dallas, um, by God's grace, we saw people come to know Christ. We saw people come to faith. And many of them risking being kicked out and ostracized from their families to follow Jesus. And they needed to know that they had a new family now, that we are family and that Jesus died to make us family to bring us into God's family with all the struggles that are there with that. Galatians 3 uh, says it like this. Paul says it like this. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. So that last little part about Abraham, 
being Abraham's offspring, that's a pretty good segue into our second uh, point this morning because it's not just enough to know that God's mission extends to all the nations. We have to, we have to also know the magnitude of God's faithfulness and we have to have this deep-seated conviction and we have to have faith that God actually keeps his promises. And the good news is we don't have to wonder about that. God has proven that he does keep his promises. We don't, we don't have time to go back and read all of uh, Genesis 12 and, and the parts of Abraham's uh, life that follow that. But if we did, we would read that thousands of years ago, God made a promise to this one man, Abraham. And he promised that through him and his seed, God was gonna set the world right that God was going to not just bless Abraham's family, but through Abraham, God promised to bless all the families of the earth. And then God shows Abraham the night sky. A lot of you know this story. And he asks him to count the stars in the sky if he can. The point is that it's too numerous for him to count. And God says, that's how numerous your offspring will be. Now, do you think, do you think it's a coincidence that by the time we get to the end of this story, that when we get to Revelation, that John looks out and he sees a great multitude that no one could count from every family of the earth. And see, this vision here in Revelation is showing us that God is faithfully guiding history every step of the way. And there's so much more. There's so much more that we could look at and see God's promise keeping in this passage because this vision uh, in Revelation 7, like a lot of Revelation, it's just crammed with Old Testament references and quotations and allusions. And if you look at verse 16 uh, this morning, it says that um, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat them down nor any scorching heat. That is a direct reference to Isaiah 49, uh, verses 10 and following. And you have these references, right, to the lamb in the midst of the throne who will be their shepherd and that he will guide them to springs of living water. And again, this is touching into Isaiah, but also might remind us of Psalm 23, probably the most famous passage in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Greg Beal has a commentary on Revelation that is just, so good, it's, it's really remarkable. I highly recommend it. And he shows that there's all these references just in this passage to Daniel, Ezekiel, and Leviticus. And the point of all of it, right? The point of it is that all these promises of God are culminating together. And how? How are they all coming together? It's in the Lamb. It's because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. Because the seed of Abraham, not seeds, seed, that's what Paul says in Galatians 3. This seed is the one true Israelite who kept God's law, never sinned. The one true son of Abraham who would bring God's blessings to the whole world. And he did it by becoming a lamb. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone 
who's hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. See, Jesus took the curse upon himself on the cross so that we could have the blessing. And you see this in our passage in in verse 14, uh, towards the end, you see that the ones who are there have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Uh, Reminded me of one of my favorite hymns, uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. And there's this one stanza that says, dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And that's what we see in Revelation 7, that that's happened. That the church of God has come together and it's, it's by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, that anyone from any tribe, tongue, people, and nation become a part of God's family. And we can't miss, can't miss this morning that it's the lamb. It's not with power the way the world thinks of power. It's not through military or political might and conquest, but through the suffering servant who was slain, Jesus Christ, that that's how God shows his power and keeps his promises and brings about his kingdom. And then this whole like cascade of God's promises being fulfilled from the Old Testament, it's meant to give us then as the church, great courage and also great patience. Revelation is applicable at all times and to all people. It's not, we don't have time to go into all this morning, but it's not like this Rubik's cubes of of prophecy prophecy we're supposed to figure out. Uh, But to see that no matter what country we're from, no matter what year it is, no matter what time in history it is, God keeps his promises and we can trust him with the future because the future has been decided and God will win. And he secured that victory through the lamb. And again, this should give us great courage. And the way it gives us great courage is it gives us courage in sharing our faith in sharing the gospel with people, sharing the good news of Jesus, because then we see it's not up to us. God's gonna do this no matter what. So it gives us great courage to share the good news, but it also gives us great patience because it's not up to us. So I don't have to cram it at everyone every single time I interact with them. I can see like, where is this person at? What do they need? How can I help them? How can I point them to Jesus, take them one step closer to Jesus wherever they're at and meet them where they're at and have patience that God's at work and he's the one who ultimately brings about his salvation. And this, this, this combination then of seeing the mission go to all nations and then God's unwavering faithfulness, it should propel us outward, right? Outward to the world. And what's really neat is in 2023, in God's sovereignty, it should propel us not just to go out to the world and out to the nations, but to welcome the nations who are here among us right now, the nations that are in our backyard. God's not wanting us just to go out uh, to the nations, but extend hospitality to the nations. This is a a quote I have from Russ Whitfield, who's a PCA pastor in Washington, DC. And and this just really hit me. He said, in an age when people are building higher walls, the church has the countercultural privilege of building longer tables, bearing witness to the hospitality of God and the age to come. 
that's what we want to do. Like, this is just a small piece. It doesn't have to be with RUF International, but that's what we want to do with RUF International. Remember those numbers at the beginning about India and, and Pakistan and Indonesia? Well, there are 200,000 international students from India in the U.S. right now. Pakistan and Indonesia have about 8,000 international students. And you would be shocked at how many students come to the U.S. and study here and never enter someone's home. It's about 75%. So that means I have a, a chart of international student enrollment in the U.S. There's about a million international students in the U.S. Took a dip during COVID, now it's back up. Which means of the one million international students who are here, most of them coming from unreached people group populations in the world, or sorry, countries of the world, it means that they come here and they leave and they remain unreached. But we can do something about that. Uh, Alakur was a PCA minister who is the former RUFI coordinator, said that when we open the doors of our homes and we open our doors of our churches to the nations, we can let God's future into the present. We can get a foretaste of what we read this morning when we open our doors to the world. But there's one more thing we need to see from this passage. Because as wide as the gospel goes to the nations and as sure as it is that God keeps his promises, we need to know the depth of God's love. See, the promises fulfilled here include the one in verse 17, where it says at the end that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I think what, I, I've been like grasping at how to articulate this, because even the depth of God's love, it's like not doing it for me, to be honest. It's like, if you've come to church a long time, it's like, I know God loves me or, or whatever. It's like, there's something really deep that I'm just praying will get to you from this passage. Because God is showing us that we are not just a cog in the wheel for his mission. That we are not just a pawn in his hand to reach others but that his love goes all the way down to the bottom of our heart. It goes all the way down to the depths of despair, to the depths of sorrow, and that God will wipe away every single tear from our eyes. And he'll wipe away every tear from every person, from every nation who's in Christ. Like, think about that. Think about that. Every single tear. This last verse, it tells us something really important about the people who will be in the new heavens and new earth. If you're here and you're wondering like, is Christianity for me? And you've been exploring and thinking like, is Jesus really worth it? Could he really be enough? Or whether you're here and you've been a Christian for a while and you're just struggling, you're just doubting, pulling yourself out of bed to come here this morning. The question we have to to answer. And the question is not rather that, you know, have I lived a good enough life? Have I earned God's love? It's not a question of how many times did you come to church? Not a question of, you know, what family did you grow up in or what country are you from? But what this shows us is the question is, do you have tears that need to be wiped away? That's the criteria here. 
is do you have tears that need to be wiped away? Because if you do, then Jesus is here saying, come to me, all who weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will wipe away every tear from your eye. And the only person who's here in this passage is the kind of person who has tears that need to be wiped away. See, until you know that God isn't gonna just wipe away everybody else's tears or wipe away the nation's tears, but he's gonna wipe away your tears. It's not gonna penetrate to the depth of your heart. And he says every tear will be wiped away. The tears, long, painful tears of depression, struggling to pay the bills, kids who run away from the faith or parents who are struggling, parents who've died, children who've died, whatever the depth of sorrow, whatever grips you in your gut or has in the past or the fear you have what's coming tomorrow, God will wipe away every tear from your eye if you belong to Jesus. Let me just put it really plain as as we're wrapping up. The salvation that God brings in this passage and in scripture is for people who don't have it all together. Jesus said, it's not the righteous, but sinners he came to save, which means if you have tears, just think about this room, like the amount of sorrow from the stories of our lives in this room. If you've got tears, then come to this shepherd who became a sheep, who laid down his life for yours, who promises to protect you forever and ever And you can enter into his joy, his glory, knowing him and enjoying him forever. And nothing, no tribulation now, no grief from the past or unknown trouble coming in the future can stop him from getting to you. He shed his tears for you in agony on the cross, suffering shame under the righteous wrath of God for you and for your sin, for me and for my sin, so that we could be a part of his worldwide family and have eternal life with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your justice and righteousness. Thank you that it extends to all nations and thank you that it extends even to us this morning in San Diego. Thank you, thank you that, we thank you that Jesus has paid it all, that we can cast ourselves onto him knowing we are too weak and too broken to fix ourselves or to hold ourselves together. For those, Lord, who haven't come to that realization, for those who still believe they have to keep it together, for those who think they have to clean themselves up before they can come to you, would you show them the depth of their sin? and their brokenness and show them that even today, the greatness of your faithfulness, love and compassion extends to them and humble us, Lord. It's a terrifying thing to pray, but we know there is no life apart from you. Thank you, Lord, that we now get to experience your hospitality this morning at your table, experiencing your welcome to sinners at the cost of yourself we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.